Now, I need you to know that over the next few minutes, I'm going to get really transparent. Because I've learned that you can only preach where you've survived. And my anointing is to the cave dwellers. The ones that sit on the edge of the chair crying out saying, God, I need an encounter with you. I'm so done with normal. I'm so done with, uh, for some reason, I, I wrote about it and I am remnant, but for some reason we're living in a time where my generation of leaders thinks the next generation that's coming up right now isn't worthy of the same encounter that we had. So we've gotten really good at firing the Holy Spirit. And when you remove one third from the Trinity or one third from a hundred, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it leaves a number 666. When you water down the blood, it just gives the Holy Spirit a pink slip. Why am I sharing that? Because over the next few minutes, you'll understand that I have not been able to do anything without the presence of God. And so this is a very different session than I've ever shared. I've been at all of mom's conference. Wasn't that word last night one of the greatest messages you ever heard in your life? Come on, give it up. I'm serious. What a convicting word. But I must get into this for just a second because uh, for, for some reason, as God began to burn in my spirit, I had just wrote the book, I Am Remnant, and was done. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a couple years off because my wife, Karen, is writing, and she's so hot. Um, she is, she's literally, I got to go home. And major lust issues for her. I'm serious. And uh, my son, who's a youth pastor out at, at, in Modesto at, at the house, uh, Nate always says, Dad, would you just stop? I said, you're here, aren't you? <laughs> What's up? Aren't you glad I didn't? What? And um, that was awkward. But I believe that we're about to begin to see the supernatural. I have a sleep disorder called Revelation. And recently I had a dream. I was getting ready to speak at a youth camp in Tennessee for the AG there and the night before I had this dream of this giant wave sweeping across America and my wife and I are running well she runs I loiter and and we're screaming for people to get to safety and we're running across the states and finally I ended up at at the Capitol in DC and this last summer we saw an outpouring of God we saw congressmen crying out to God we saw heads of state going after God we saw them wor worshiping we saw them praying for for the president are you with me don't talk about him you need to pray for him and I woke up from the dream because I had been screaming, let's get to, let's get to, we got to get everybody to safety. And all day long, God began to deal with me. I'm, I'm like, Lord, you promised in Genesis 9 11 that, that you would not destroy the earth with a flood again. And I'm, and by the way, the, the word, the number 9 11 is the same number for the word remnant. And, and after I had wrote, I am remnant, I thought I was going to be done for a while because Karen is writing a book. She just finished it called Dehydrated about encounters, secret encounters with God. And I'm like, I don't want to write another book. I have no desire to write another book. And, and then all of a sudden the Lord just dropped on me one day and it was after this dream I, i'm just in a hotel room and and i'm like lord why was that why did we see that and and i said lord are you are you about to judge america and all of a sudden god spoke to me and he said pat he said what you saw was one final outpouring a wave of his spirit that's going to sweep america i wrote about it and unqualified and the reason why I wrote this, this, this book was because maybe it's, you know, the, the remnant is Romans 11 verse 5. So too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. But, but then God said so many times as I've shared the message of the remnant around America, all, all these people come up to me and they go, but, but I don't feel qualified. 
And so that's why we're doing this session today because I don't know about you. If you get a hold of this, I want to warn you. If you get a hold of this and you break that failure spirit off of you, your spouse might remember the person they dated. If you get a hold of this, your children will learn to enjoy ministry. See, because God doesn't care about your ministry. He cares about his name. If you get a hold of this, and, and so I'm literally going to preach just a little tiny part of the, of the new book, but it's because my whole life I felt unqualified. And in the new book, I, God gave me a manifesto that goes in the front of it, and one of them is the unqualified walk in reverence of the knowledge that without God's help, they'll never accomplish anything. Are you with me? And this is the scripture the Lord began to show. I love this scripture. It's one of my favorite. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26. If you have your Bibles, it says, or your phones, it says, take a good look, friends. Take a good look at who, who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. How many of you know my report cards? The teachers were liars. And so I deserve better. But they all said talks too much, daydreams. Very prophetic about my future. Watch. I don't, I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. It isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Isn't that a cool verse? Give God, give God a praise because that's one of my favorite verses. And I was sitting... When God began to birth this in me, and then, uh, uh, because right before that, I had been on a phone call with some leaders from around America, and they're talking about this thing that we were doing in D.C., and I pulled off at a post office in my town, and, and all of a sudden, I just got my phone out, and God began to download a prophetic word to me that, that I must share with you, and you're the first people I've ever shared this with. But he said, Pat, because that's my name. He said, Pat, I, I will use the unqualified. And he gave me this before I ever wrote this new book. But he said, I will use the unqualified to awaken the qualified out of their drunken stupor that has been caused by the intoxication of self-built, self-built kingdoms. These man-made kingdoms. And I'm sitting, you're going to see me. I'm sitting on the side of the road at my post office on my phone. Tears rolling down my face because I got jacked on a phone call. And all of a sudden the Lord said, these, these man-made kingdoms have been built upon the sand of shifting truth and, and forfeited authority. The unqualified will be the ones that co- confound the very concept of what we've called the qualified for many generations. It's the oops, the accidents, and the nobodies that will rise up and take place of, take the place of those who have grown comfortable with the idea of maintenance faith versus miraculous faith. Am I, am I talking to anybody yet? Let me be very clear. This is what the Lord said to me. He was talking to me. I'm sharing it with you. He said, let me be very clear. You are not plan B. You are the value of the Lord. Because I must call in this room this morning. The ones that are going to change history. And you need, you need to know. Alarms are going off in hell. You need to know after this conference you're going to get attacked. You need to know the enemy hates the fact that some of you are actually going to begin to see what God sees. Because when you finally get out of that mirror of self-depreciation and begin to look out at the harvest and it's not about you, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is for you to begin to realize that you're nothing but a rag in the hand of God sent to clean up the message, the, the message. You are the remnant. You are the ones that God's about to raise up. You are the ones that he has qualified. You are the ones that God says, I'm going to use you regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your scars. And scars on earth are testimonies in heaven. And it's impossible to have compassion 
depression without first having pain. And God told me to come and tell you, he's about to raise you up. He's about to use you in a supernatural way. I asked the Lord at 2.30 this morning. I said, who's going to be in the session today? God, he said, the ones that I have been waiting to show that they have seen nothing yet. It's just the beginning. And the hell you've been going through, because if you're not coming up against the devil, it's because you're flowing with him. And I've learned that if you put your head in the sand, you just give the devil a bigger target. What? And so you got to understand, God says, I'm about to raise up the ones when everybody else steps back and says, no way. I know this is corny, but he screams out, Yahweh, give God a praise. I love hanging out with nobodies because they were what the disciples were. See, I've learned. I have asked myself a thousand times, how in the world, God, can you use me? How could God use me? My dad was a drug dealer, got saved off the streets of Detroit. He worked for the mafia. And you know, if you're a drug dealer and you get saved, you become a preacher. It's a rule. And, but I come from a messed up family. My sister basically died seven years ago of a drug overdose. At 12 years old, I, I watched, my dad was pastoring this little tiny church that's good for one thing, the making and the breaking of a man of God. Everybody in the church was family and their family tree was a bonsai. <laughs> anyway. I watched my mom try to commit suicide. So just to be, even be in ministry is miraculous for me because I literally hated the concept of ministry until I had an encounter with God at 16 years old. And you know, encounters kind of change everything, don't they? But I've often thought, if people really knew who I am, how many of you ever felt that way? If they really knew me, if they really understood how jacked up I am, the struggles, the secret wars, the things that have tried to stop you. And yet, for some reason, because we've kept our hearts pure, because we've chased after God. I mean, I could tell you crazy stories. I nearly got kicked out of Southeastern. And, and again, it was their fault. And as a youth pastor, I, anytime I went and visited anybody in the hospital, where's Josh at? Josh is at the church where I was a youth pastor at. It's funny because the, the staff meeting stories uh, in Decatur, Alabama, is that, that uh, if Pat went and visited anybody in the hospital, he would pass out twice. I passed out. Once it's because a kid was thrown up. He should have stopped. <laughs> the dumbest things I've ever said while preaching, I cannot tell you because that have just come out wrong. But isn't it strange? God always, I'm coming to encourage you today. I don't know if you're getting that so far. <laughs> you're like, dude, if he can do it, bro, I can make it. Reminds me when Charisma asked me to write a book. I literally said to the editor on the phone years ago, I said, have you seen my report cards? We didn't do that English thing too well. Thank God for assistance. But isn't it amazing how God uses the most messed up people? I ask for the new book. I ask all these key leaders. Some no one would know. Others are well known. And I would I'd text them and I would say, tell me, tell me, does God use the qualified and, or use the unqualified? And, and, and Sid Roth, who's a very dear friend, he's 73 years old. And he, he's just a, a, a powerful, very pure heart. Very, you see a lot of people on TV. This man is pure. And, and, and he said, and I love what he said. Sid said it. He said, Pat, he said, if, if you're unqualified plus Jesus, you're qualified and chosen to be front and center for the great, greatest harvest in history. 
See, what you may not realize is when I was working at a youth camp, the Assemblies of God Youth Camp in Alabama as a kid, uh, 16 years old, I was a lifeguard, and uh, my brother and I worked at the camp in the summertime, and, and uh, my parents would always say, you're called. And you know, the best way to know you're called to preach is you wake up thinking about it and go to bed thinking about it, and everything that would happen would be a great sermon illustration. And if you ignore the call, you're going to be a mean board member. <laughs> what? But I'll never forget, we're working at kids' camp, kids' children's camp. We're sitting in the back with all the other staff, this old, oh, this old auditorium and this old pew, and we're all just sitting back there cutting up, and all of a sudden a puppet was doing a puppet show, and the puppet said, you're called to the nations. And I fell out of my chair. I got called in the ministry by a puppet, honest to God. <laughs> I, I swear. <laughs> Not supposed to do that either. I've often tried to find that puppet, but I, he's, he went back in the closet. But see, the unqualified chose to stay away from the mirror of self-depreciation and instead spend their lives looking through binoculars of hope. In fact, I searched the Bible. I began to look through the Bible. I'm like, Lord, I, wanna, I want you to show me. Why have you put in my spirit, write a book called Unqualified? And, 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 and I began to look at it. And I began to realize Moses was a stutterer. Abraham was a liar. You've heard some of these. Jacob was a deceiver. David was illegitimate, but also an adulterer and a murderer. And Paul was a murderer. And, and Peter was a denier. And John was ab- abandoned on an island called Revelation, which you call isolation. God uses for revelation because the greater the anointing, the greater the isolation. And some of you have been hidden lately and you don't understand why you don't understand. And you get, you get crazy. You'll, you'll drop off social media and fast off it. Not because it's, it's, uh, it's something you feel so strongly as you just can't handle the insecurity of looking at everybody else's success. And I'll never forget, I went to a youth pastor's conference. I became a youth pastor at 17 years old. And I walked into a youth pastor's conference. And a man that became my father and one of my very best friends in the whole world, my son works for him. Glenn Berteau was preaching at it at the time. I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school. And I was working at this little church in Birmingham as a youth pastor. I didn't know Jack. I can't say that anymore because my grandson's name is Jack. And so um, I, um, it's awkward now. And so I got to say, I don't know John. And so, but my grandson's name is Jack. You'll see him in the NFL. Oh, laugh. Dream. But I'll never forget, I walked in the back of the room and Glenn Berto was preaching. And I had made up my mind because I watched all these people at this youth pastor's conference walking around and marking their territory. And talking about how big their youth ministries were and all this kind of stuff. And no one spoke to me for two days because I was just a, they probably thought I was just a camp worker at this youth pastor's conference. And Went and put my stuff in my car and my pastor made me go to this and I didn't fit in. And, and all of a sudden I walked to the back door and all of it. And I share this in the new book, but all of a sudden I walked to the back door. And, and as I get to the back door, Glenn Berteau, who I didn't know, but be, has become 20 years best friend. And all of a sudden I walk to the back door and I'm standing there and I'm getting ready to leave. And I just want to be able to say to my pastor, I went to the last session. And all of a sudden Glenn sc- screamed, God did not call you to fail. And I said, what? He's, on the, he's, on, he's up on stage. He had just left Jimmy Swaggart's ministry and seen that whole thing fall apart. And he screamed out, God did not call you to fail. Next thing I know, I'm in the floor weeping for hours. As it was began the process of breaking the failure spirit off. But see, I've looked at the unqualified throughout the Bible. If you look at Jesus' resume, I mean, he was born on the worst side of town, born according to the world as an illegitimate. He, he was not good looking. Everybody likes to make Jesus good looking, and he's not. 
I mean, we got British Jesus on the Son of God movies, and it's awesome because the first time I held my grandson on December 21st, I looked into his eyes, and I went, we're going to change the world. It was awesome. And <laughs> come with me. I'll make you vicious. And... Uh, but Isaiah said it best. I mean, Isaiah said he grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing of his appearance would, that would make us desire him because Jesus had not come to seduce men's eyes but grab their hearts. We know that his father probably died. That's why he ran and met his uncle on the road to Emmaus. His father probably died when he was about, I don't know, 12, 15, 20 years old. I have no idea. But he would know his own family didn't even really believe in him. In fact, one of his brothers didn't even get saved till the cross or believe in him. The people he came to save hated him. The church despised him. The very church that he loved so much, according to Ephesians, they despised him. And some of his disciples would abandon him, yet Jesus would rise up in Matthew chapter 9, realizing who he was and realizing what everybody thought about him. And verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the towns and the villages and teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, now watch, because here's his resume. This is literally Jesus' resume. If you ever want to know where, if you ever want to hire Jesus for a youth conference, here he is. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's Jesus screaming out, I just need a team. I just need somebody to, to walk with me. So he goes out and grabs a bunch of nobodies. I don't know if you've ever seen the deadliest catch or those fishermen guys. I mean, they are uncouth. We know that they're the worst you could have chose. They, I mean, once you get that much fish on you, you're going to smell like it forever. And, and so... We know that probably Jesus always went after the unqualified. That's why he gets in the boat. All of a sudden, remember when he got in the boat and he says, hey, we're going to the other side. He goes to the bottom of the boat, starts to go to sleep on the first waterbed ever created. And all of a sudden he's sound asleep. He's floating on the pillow because he's God. Disciples are freaked out. One minute they're worshiping and saying, man, wasn't that a great move of God? We just fed 5,000 and, and it was incredible. And, and they're all talking. The next thing you know, the weather changes. And then all of a sudden the, the boat starts getting tossed and, and, and I mean, they're, they're throwing up. They look like Duck Dynasty in a, in a, in a, uh, uh, Mexican restaurant. And there's food everywhere. I mean, you know, all the meat and they just ate. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gets up. He's ticked off at them for waking him up. I know how he feels. He walks to the head of the boat and he says, waves be still, wind stop, rain go away. But what you don't realize is he was actually calling the, the unqualified because his voice shot across the water to a small passage of land where there's a demon-possessed man who cuts himself at night. Who would come rolling down the hill, almost floating, falling at his knees, 6,000 demons inside of him. And he cries out to the master. And what you got to understand is 6,000 demons couldn't stop him from worshiping what stops you. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, he gets radically set free. They cast the demons into the pigs and they commit suicide. That's so stupid and old to say that. But then he's cleaned up and then he goes home because he wants to go with Jesus and Jesus sends him back to Decapolis. And by the way, if you study Decapolis, it's the only 10 cities in the Middle East that are still Christian because of this one evangelist who was demon possessed one night and became an evangelist the next day. Unqualified. 
When everyone would lock their doors, when he would come crawling into the town, howling, acting like a fool, everyone would, would run. But Jesus went through the storm to get to him. Everybody thinks the storm was about the disciples' faith. No, the storm was to get the demons were trying to stop him from getting to the big evangelist who was a nobody. So when he spoke, sound travels across water. When he spoke, it hit those shores, began to bounce up the rocks. And all of a sudden, a demon possessed man who's cutting himself, all of a sudden goes, he's coming. He's coming. I love what my friend Rich Wilkerson, Rich pastor's down in Miami. I asked him, I text him, I said, Rich, tell me what the unqualified is. And he texts me and he said, Pat, he said, every person that God, that God has ever, have, has ever felt unqualified for the job. Yet regardless of the dark time struggles and the, the battles that we face, we must rise past the pain. Each one of us has an anointing that was won at the cross. God is cheering you on. No more excuses. We are the unqualified that God is qualified. Everybody loves to watch what Rich and Richie are doing down in Miami. But have you ever been to his bathroom in his church? Yeah, that's awkward, isn't it? But if you look in the bucket beside the sink, there's just. He has a blood disease. And yet my friend has transformed so many lives. I always think about how God raises up different leaders in the Bible, whether it's Moses who was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, or Elijah was a farmer, David was tending sheep, and Esther was a concubine, Jacob was a slave, Peter was a fisherman, Luke was a doctor, Paul a tent maker, Jesus a carpenter, and yet they were all faithful to where they started, and then God called them out. I want to say something to you. God is done using those that don't need him. Those that have learned how to do it because of their personality. I love what Landon shot. Again, I'm just using, not because I know these people, they're just my friends. And I said, give me quotes for the unqualified. And Landon shot is a guy that has Rev TV. I love what he said to me one day. He said, men love their resumes full of their qualifications. The unqualified simply need to hear the voice of God's voice. Are you awake? See, you have to understand, you have no right to question the call. And I don't know about you. I spent probably the first 15 years of ministry quitting every Thursday. I literally kept a resignation letter in my desk. Because I go to bed on Wednesday night and we could see hundreds touched or five touched. It didn't matter the numbers. And, and, and I could lay there at night feeling like a failure. And my wife would, would help me go to sleep and, until God broke that off me. That's actually a demonic spirit of insecurity. But you have no right to question the call. It's what Romans 9 verse 20 says. Who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? Do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that mold it, saying, why did you shape me like this? Isn't it obvious that a potter has a perfect right to shape one lump of clay into a, into a vase for holding flowers and another pot into a pot for cooking beans? If God needs one style of pottery, especially designed to show his angry displeasure and another style carefully crafted to show his glorious goodness, isn't that all right? Either or both happens to the Jews, but it also happens to the other people. Hosea put it well. I love this. I'll call nobodies, make them somebodies. Isn't the, in the Message Bible cool? Because literally, if you're just writing a sermon and you don't know where to get a scripture you just go to to bible gateway and type it in the message bible and like stupid and it'll pop up it's the awesomest thing now watch and hosea put it really well i'll call nobodies i'll make them somebodies i'll call the unloved make them beloved in the place where they yelled out you're nobody they're calling you god's living children give god a praise offering Am I talking to anybody today? You're in this session because you don't feel like when you stand up on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night or a Friday night, you don't really feel like you're qualified. Good. That's the kingdom 
of God. That's number two. You need to write this down. He chooses the misfits. God always chooses the misfits. He chooses the ones that refuse to fit in. I mean, I'm probably the only preacher's kid that ever got caught drinking all the communion juice and told I was going to hell. Listen. Anybody else done that? I mean, bro, your parents are in ministry. It takes hours to get out. That's a buffet after church. You walk back there and you look like got blood on your lips. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. I love this scripture because it's, it's so crazy. I'm literally just praying and God says, write a book called Unqualified. God, I don't want to write another book because every time I write a book, it's a dark season because I have to peel, I have to peel onion parts away from me. I have to walk through things. I have to confront things that have always tried to stop me. And Lord, I don't want to do this. And, and he said, write a book called Unqualified. I'm like, Lord, I, I, and again, I, I could care less if you buy the book. I'm telling you why I, this message was birthed because maybe it was finally time after preaching to a generation for 20 years or traveling 2 million miles around the world and sleeping in hotels and on planes, which I hate by the way and delta means doesn't ever leave the airport and uh, and by the way if you tweet them you know you tweet them like hey this is pat hey i'm delayed oh they'll send you a private message back we'll work on that no they they're lying but it says to me in first corinthians chapter four verse nine i love this right here because it's so good. It seems to me that God has put us who bear his message on stage in a theater in which no one wants to buy a ticket. We're something everyone stands around and stares at like an accident in the streets. We're the mis- Messiah's misfits. You might be sure of yourself, but we live in the midst of frailties and uncertainties. You might be well thought of by others, but we mostly kicked around. Much of the time, we don't have enough to eat. We wear patched and threadbare clothes. We get doors or you wear skinny jeans, which I try to wear skinny jeans one time and I look like a hippopotamus in pantyhose. Let's move on and then all you guys that wear the v-neck thing listen I'm wall to wall carpet next thing I need is a gold chain I'm 45 I'm not going into my 50s lightly that's why I eat watch you, you might be well thought of by others, but we're mostly kicked around. Much of the time we don't have threadbare clothes. Well, there we go. We get doors slammed in our faces. We pick up odd jobs anywhere we can. We can to eke out a living. And when they call us names, we say, God bless you. Sometimes. <laughs> anyway. When they spread rumors about us, we put in a good word for them. Sometimes. We're treated like garbage, potato peelings from the culture's kitchen, and it's not getting any better. Listen to me. God is looking for those of us that will stand up and say things that no one wants to say. God is looking for the truth speakers, because truth is the new hate speech, and the enemy of truth is silence. God's looking for somebody that will stand up and say, I'm sorry, I love you, but that is actually wrong. Cognitive dissonance has taken over, and you've convinced yourself that you're right, but you are wrong. We love you, and we will walk you to freedom, because we do not throw rocks, we throw ropes. But I, God has called you to be free. God doesn't make mistakes. Are you getting this so far? And we are living in a day of celebrity Christianity and, and, and the only red carpet in the Bible is where the blood of the martyrs was spilled. The only roped off areas where they hung the Christians and the only celebrities in the Bible were children. So unless you're a child, you are nothing. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so that's why you should every now and then at your church, get up, walk past the children's church and listen to them singing out of tune, out of line, having fun and enjoying the presence of God. Because unless you get like that, you're really going to be born in heaven. And God uses the most wounded people not so you can have a platform to scar others. 
My friend Maurice Claret played for Ohio State, and then he made a lot of mistakes. I text him and I said, Maurice, tell me about being unqualified. And this is what he said. I'm the real definition. Maybe you've seen him on ESPN um, uh, 30 for 30. But Maurice has had an encounter with God in, in prison that radically changed him. His dad died on, or his dad never had anything to do with him. He was an alcoholic. He became a, a phenom. And as a freshman, his best friend was LeBron James. And it all crashed one night when he gets pulled over with all these guns and M16s and a bulletproof vest and a fifth of vodka. Everything crashed around him. But he went to prison and Maurice said, text me this just about four or five weeks ago, he said, Pat, I'm the real definition of what it means to be unqualified. I've lived most of my life in extremely disobedient fashion. I've had years of inappropriate thoughts and behavior, but when the Lord came and worked in my life, I stood up for him and spoke out to the masses about who he was and what he did. See, God is raising up the nobodies, the unqualified, the ones that were on TV with the cops chasing them like an O.J. Simpson thing. See, you got to realize what I'm talking about. God always uses those to take on this incredible trip called ministry. And they're the ones that man overlooks, but God notices. Remember Peter and John? I love those guys. Faith and praise walking together. I love Peter because he was so stupid. Most of the time, my brother was messing up. Like one minute, you're the son of God. Oh, only Jesus. I mean, only my father could have told you that. Next minute, Satan. That was an intense staff meeting. I'm like winning, and then all of a sudden, get up, get behind me, you devil. One day he decides to get out of a boat and walk on the water because Jesus is out there, and he's, it's really cool because he has this crazy faith, and he steps out on the water, and all of a sudden he realizes it's shark week. <laughs> but then after the day of Pentecost, when he had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit, which I still believe in, and by the way, let me just say it. This generation loves to pray in the Spirit. They love to get filled with the Spirit. I've seen tens of thousands. So those of you who don't believe in it, why are you robbing them from a weapon? Because when mom and dad are fighting or when someone's sneaking in the room in the middle of the night, the only thing is they're going to make it with is when they can lay there with no words and pray in the Spirit. And they haven't made it academic like we have. They haven't made it weird. They just think it's cool. But I love Peter and John because remember they're walking back. I mean, they just had the day of Pentecost. It's crazy. They get to, they get to, they get to the man at the gate, beautiful, who's sitting there, who's kind of not in the church, but not out of the church. He just kind of knows how to live both worlds. And they go, he goes, change or alms, alms. And, and Peter goes, silver and gold I don't have because I'm in the ministry. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, 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 not in the name of Pat. I love what the Lord spoke to me one day. He said, Pat, I was getting ready to walk out on stage and speak at a youth convention. And the Lord said, I was just praying. And he said, if they can see you, I can't. Just go out and be a stagehand. Open the curtain. I'll never forget. I was praying one time and I said, Lord, I don't feel you like I used to feel you. Because sometimes the teacher doesn't talk when he gives a test. And all of a sudden, the Lord just said to me, he said, Pat, he said, uh, I've gone to another level and I'm waiting on you to get there. We'll talk. Remember what happens? All of a sudden they walk up to the man and, and, and the man gets up. His feet grow back. Literally, his feet grow back. He starts dancing, messes up for a good religious service. It was not time for miracles. They were still in the video presentation of the service. <laughs> the next thing you know, they're getting confronted by Caiaphas, who's, by the way, his name means in the Aramaic, the rooster's crowing again. Because God always gives you a ch second chance when you really screw up. Man won't, God will. And, but it says in Acts chapter 4, there were these two lunatics that just walked up. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
you know what? I don't care if people say, look how many followers he's got on Instagram or any of that other stupidity. I wonder if people say about you when you walk out of the room, they've been with Jesus because you're supposed to be a mobile upper room. You're supposed to, this is how the unqualified are going to be used by God. We have nothing but his power. It's, it's literally what Paul said when he, because eloquent speech and cool clothes have never chased a demon out of a man. That's what Paul said in first Corinthians chapter two. And I don't have time to read it, but he just basically said, Hey, I didn't come with you philosophy or eloquent words or anything. I came in the demonstration. Jesus. The problem is right now, we're getting really good at talking and not preaching. We're really getting really good at not declaring freedom instead. Declaring, look at me because we're raising the no, not him. Give us Barabbas generation. Because if we ever scream, look at Jesus instead of look at us, they might start realizing we don't look anything like him. We'd rather have Barabbas because he makes us feel better about ourselves. And, and when we reduce preaching down to an art that doesn't require spirit unction and spirit visitation, then God simply becomes a late night inf- infomercial that lulls people to sleep. Am I offending anybody? I'm not meaning to. I'm being very real today. I, I, I guess I got to hurry. I may not get through all my notes. Can I just go ahead and say it? We, we, we can't do it without an all sovereign God moment. See, this is what, if you're truly unqualified, if you're unqualified, wave at me. When you finally get over preaching your testimony and start preaching what God is going to do, everything's going to change for you. Because at some point you quit using the crutch and you pick up the wings. At some point you begin to realize his word is so magnificent. It's so cool. It's so fun. But I spent my first few years of preaching the gospel as a youth pastor listening to other people's messages. Had to. I didn't know how to write a sermon. I struggled with it. That's why our ministry, that's why I've got that leadership card because it's got 700 word documents on it. I want to help guys. Here's sermons. Go preach them. What's the our sovereign Lord moment? July 3rd, this last summer, I woke up actually on the first, I woke up and for three days I kept hearing our sovereign Lord, our sovereign Lord, our sovereign Lord. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what that means. I couldn't get over it. I was going to DC to preach about 400 yards from the white house. And, and I just couldn't get over it. I kept hearing this our sovereign Lord. You know, what I've learned about the, the, the unqualified, the unqualified understand that without the active work of the Holy spirit in their lives, they will become an echo rather than God's voice of deliverance. And we're living in perilous times where those of us that preach truth, you will get attacked. But where are the bunkies or the booths or the Bonhoeffers? When are they going to rise up again? I love what Reinhard, Pastor Reinhardt Bunky said to me one day. He's a father in my life. He said, he said, Pat, the power of God is not an accessory to the gospel. It's all the power or it's all the gospel. William Booth is my hero. Every one of my books has his quote at the very end of it, all the books, because I just love him so much. I love him because he was a drunk, got radically encountered by God, became the greatest youth pastor in history. And he said this. He said this in the 1800s. The chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's one of my heroes, who pastored during the Nazi regime and, and um, was just uh, uh, was a part of the confessing church and he was later be martyred by the Nazis they hated him because they had infiltrated they said they, the Nazis in their manifesto had said to the church only preach grace don't give altar calls you're only here for social justice 
But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this back in the in 1930s before he was martyred. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on uh, ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Now, that's not popular to share that kind of stuff right now. But grace is not permission to go and sin. Grace is permission to get on the cross. That's why it says in Titus chapter 2, it empowers you to live a godly life. Are you still with me? We've got to learn to rely on the providence of God again because without God, what do you mean? Ah, sovereign Lord. I kept hearing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And we're living in a generation that believes all gods run together. That's why we have the number one bumper sticker in the world is the coexist bumper sticker. Some of you have heard me talk about this, but I I was doing an apologetic series and I was getting angrier and angrier at this bumper sticker because it ticks me off. It's kind of that Oprah doctrine. We're all on the same path. It's all the same religions, that Rob Bell stuff. It's a lie. And, and because the only way to heaven is through Jesus. But then all of a sudden I'm looking at it one day and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Pat, don't get offended. Look, they're preaching my gospel. Look, you can, you, you can have Islam, Buddhism, science, Judaism, paganism, Wiccan, and then Christianity. And I was getting madder and madder. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. He said, why are you getting mad? They're preaching my gospel. He said, look, they started with Ishmael, but they ended, they ended with Isaac. Anytime you see this bumper sticker, drive by him and go, what's up? Love you. Because you can try all these world religions, but sooner or later, everything's going to stop at the cross. Give my God a praise. But without the providence of God, without God's providence, without God's empowering you, without that prayer life, and your prayer life is really a mirror of what you preach. I, I'll be honest with you. I spent the first 10 years of ministry with a very minimal prayer life because I just didn't think it was that important. And now, I don't want to go an hour without talking to him. I love what my friend Jay Hazlip said. Jay's from Alabama. He's a skateboarder. And He's on TV and he's just a pastor in LA, but he's a good friend. He texted me this one day and he said, I've always known that because God so miraculously rescued me that he would, he would also use me. God always uses, this is all these people that are kind of well known. And I've got, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm showing you this. They've, every one of us have felt this way. He said, God always uses the unqualified to fulfill his commission. This ensures that no one, no man can take credit. God likes those of us that are pulled from the depths of sin and anoints us to do the same for others. We are those who have been that, who have the testimony that begins with, If it hadn't been for Jesus. Are you still with me? But what is the all sovereign Lord? I kept hearing this over and over and over. See, I believe that the the end of yourself is the beginning of God. And I believe that purity is the backbone of authority. And authority is determined by brokenness. And and, and you've got to understand, if God's really going to use you, if God's really going to change you, I kept hearing this word over and over, all sovereign Lord. And it became the first chapter in in this book. Because all of a sudden, I I began to look it up in the Bible. In Jeremiah 32, 17, ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. In fact, Sovereign Lord is 289 times in the Bible, so I started looking it up. I look everything up. I mean, that's why we got the internet. And, and, and so I looked up, ah, I'm like, let's look up, ah, you know, I, I kept hearing it. I woke up early in the morning, kept hearing, ah, Sovereign Lord, ah, Sovereign Lord. And, and I began to realize all through the Bible, every time you see that, it's an exclamation of sorrow. Ah. It's what happened when I saw those 20 men beheaded in Egypt and, and I had just walked into my living room and it was on Fox News or, or one of the other channels and I just saw it and all of a sudden it went, oh, oh, oh. Believe it or not, it's all through the Bible. Ah, oh, Sovereign Lord. So then I looked up Sovereign Lord because, and it means Adonai Yahweh. 
Adonai meaning Elohim or big, awesome, mighty, all-powerful. It's the biggest name for God and, and means all authority, exalted position. The word stresses man's relationship to God as master and authority. And, and then Yahweh, which we know is, is, is when you see the word the Lord in the Bible, all caps, that is the word Yahweh, the holy name of God. So all sovereign Lord means in my anguish, I desire all authority belongs to the I am. It means I'm not in charge anymore. It doesn't matter if people like me. It doesn't matter if people talk bad about me. It doesn't matter if people walk out of me. It doesn't matter if people quit my ministry. It is God. It is the sovereignty of God when he begins. To, preaching is not a, preaching is just an end result of doing the rest of the week. What, what right where you cry out to God before? Yeah, a couple weeks ago, I went and danced in my backyard. There's a Hindu lady that lives on one side and a Baptist on the other. I freak everybody out in my neighborhood. But I needed a miracle. And within three hours, we had a miracle. Sometimes you just got to dance. And if you saw me, you wouldn't call it that. But see, the unqualified would rather welcome the Holy Spirit in a small gathering of hungry than a crowded room of the, of the satisfied. And this is it. I'm done. And five guidelines of the qualified. Can I just say them? I'll just say them when I'm done. Because we've got to go. Forgive me. Remember, number one, that your calling will always be a mystery. I have spent my ministry in the dark. I have no idea what's next. I just get up and do what he told me to do. People ask me, how do you know what you're called to do? I get invited. <laughs> I don't have any idea what I'm called to do. You got to understand, speech class, my friends that I played sports with laughed at me in the ninth grade because my knees knocked. People say, do you get nervous? I'd be nervous if I wasn't nervous. That's what David Wilkerson told me years ago when I first started in ministry. People ask, are you, are you still scared? I spent years throwing up before I preached. Years. But Ephesians 1 verse 9 says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. Do you know what the word mystery is in the Greek? See, the gospel, what we're called to do is a mystery. It's mysterion. It means a secret, a mystery. The idea of silence, it means you must remain silent about your mystery. You have no idea what you're called to do. And what's really hard is if your family's not in ministry, they don't get it. They will, though, I promise you, if you'll hold on. You're never going to be able to explain what you're called to do. You're just not. You'll even cringe when people at family reunions try to explain it. But the death of the explanation brings forth the life of the miracles. And you've got to know your seasons because sometimes the calling of God without the timing of God results in the absence of God. And when you're, when you're living in the mystery, you've got to understand God will take you through the... You'll become a wilderness wanderer many, many times. Every four years, God changes a wineskin on somebody. And I believe that with all my heart because you start leaking on everybody. And, and, but God has to take you the wilderness of confrontation or the, the wilderness of uh, the, the places he'll walk you through. Isolation, confrontation, consecration. When God begins to change you, that's what he did with Jesus. That's what he did with Moses. That's what he did with David. You have to walk through those things. But it's in this time that you learn organization. It's in this time you learn how to do what you're called to do. And then number two, remember the enemy is after your anointing. The devil is jealous of what you possess. That's why first or second Timothy one verse 14, guard the good deposit. The unqualified refuse to bow to compromise because they would rather have God, not man on their side. The enemy wants your anointing. And then number three, if you're going to be the unqualified, these are five things I'm done. Make sure you carry yourself with honor. 
Be blameless. Why? Because Philippians 2.15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Please don't embarrass the cross. And lust is always around the corner and there's something wanting to take you out. Man, I am so tired of cleaning up messes at altars. I'm so tired of going to youth camps and where so-and-so fell or somebody messed up. Just stop. You, can I just say something? You're supposed to be a slave. Jenny talked about that last night. Mom talked about that last night. You don't have the right to fall. I don't have the right to look at my wife and say, you weren't enough. I don't, like to, I don't have the right to look at my little girl that we picked up in China at nine months old and say, I brought you all the way from a place of hell to place you back in hell. By the way, her first five American words are, my daddy has a gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Never use your authority to pursue what isn't yours. I'm talking to the unqualified. I know I'm just shooting in shotgun shells today, but it's what God gave me at, from about 11 o'clock to 3 a.m. And live by faith. Let, make your petitions known. Learn how to come in agreement. My wife and I pray our needs every day. Philippians 4, 6. We pray three or four lists. We pray every word out loud, every need, and we never miss a miracle. Ask God for an entrepreneur anointing. Noah, knowing that it was going to rain, built an ark. Learn how to build arcs. Wouldn't it be cool if we didn't have to rely on the church for the check? Every time I walk through the house and I see these books, God says, that's an ark. God will always give you arcs. In the hard times, you've got to trust God. And then number five, remember God rescued you. Don't you dare lay your burden down. Don't you dare quit on a generation. We have raised a foster care generation because we don't want to stay there very long. So they come to our houses. And then we say we're out. I will close this session right now with this. I ask a very dear friend who's a spiritual father in my life if I could call him. His name is Pastor John Kilpatrick. He led the revival in Brownsville and he's become a father in my life. And by the way, you better get fathers in your lives. And I ask him. I said, I'm about to speak to the great ones, the ones that are going to change the world, the ones that God's anointed, the ones that God's going to begin to encounter like crazy. They're going to begin to see things. Listen, please pass us. Please pass. Please pass us. Please go and preach to the nations. But even if you don't preach to the nations, at least preach across the street. At least rise up and be the one. So Pastor John pours into me once a week on the phone, and, and I just love him. He's the real deal. He's very pure, and he led the Brownsville Revival. I, I called him yesterday. I've asked him if I could call him and if he would pray over you. Is that okay? Would you stand with me? How many of you across this room say, Pat, I'm tired of feeling unqualified. Can I tell you, never get tired of feeling unqualified? Because that's when God has to do it. I can't do it in my own strength. I know it was funny. I was, in, I was the guy in the dress last night on stage for Jeannie's thing. And I hate that because I get chafed. And uh, yeah, my ankles. And that really went weird. But you don't understand, I'm not an actor. I spent hours studying those stupid little lines, and I'm like, I'm so out of my element. I was slipping on my own feet because they made me go without socks, and I'm German Jew, so my feet sweat. And I'm standing up here, and I'm like, please, Adam, don't move too fast. I will fall down. I'm literally dripping. I was so scared. Huh. All you divas should have did it for me. Raise one hand and say, I will. And raise the other hand and say, surrender. Say, God. And he's going to answer you. Say, God.
Am I your miracle? Pastor, everybody give pastor a shout real quick. Give pastor a shout. Let him know you're in the room. Pastor, we've only got about a minute, but I wanted you to pray over them because you led a great revival and God has used you and still using you as an apostolic father. And there's hundreds and hundreds of students here, or excuse me, hundreds and hundreds of leaders, God's this generation leaders that are going to change the world. And I just, I would, I would ask that you give them 15 seconds of encouragement, but then I want you to pray over them to close this session, if you would. Yeah, um, well, first of all, guys, you're blessed to have that, that blood, many males sticking into your lives. I mean, they are, they are two of the very best. Can you say amen? But one of the first things I want to say is, you know, there'll, there'll be so many times they'll feel like quitting. One of the things I've learned about a satanic attack is the attack always comes up before the blessing. So if the devil is attacking, uh, it's always the dead people way that God's about to bless. I've always been tempted to quit right before the blessing, right before the blessing. So uh, I just want to encourage them whenever the devil comes in again to accuse them. He'll always accuse you of your past, but he'll attack you of your future. So let me pray. Father, I, I thank you for every young person. I thank you for every leader that you've got your hand on. And Lord, the harvest is great. And what a great opportunity to be alive today in this hour with the signs of the scriptures fulfilling in our before our very eyes every single day. Come on, pray with Lord, we're grateful that you've laid your hand upon us and called us to do this. So I speak now, Lord, over them. You will strengthen them, undergird them, give them fresh vision, a fresh anointing to go forth and do the works of the ministry, Lord. Galvanize them with the yes. vision in their spirit, in their mind. Galvanize them, Lord. Anoint them. Let an anointing flow over them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Let them feel fire in their belly. The Lord, if they feel fire in their belly, they can make others feel what they're feeling. So I speak over now in the name of Jesus that the hand of God rests upon each and every one of us in a powerful way. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Let me say this one last thing. Jeannie Mayo is the greatest mom in my life. To put this thing together, you have no idea, especially the last 45 days what she's walked through. I'm asking you to sow into her. Everybody shout out, I am unqualified. That, that, that is why God's going to use me. Come on, give the Lord a praise offering. Thank you for coming. Bless you.